Uh, today we're going to continue our study in the seven pillars of the church. As we've been talking about, these are the seven foundational truths that uh, Calvary was built upon when we first started this work. Um, and we've already gone through them. We've seen, uh, today we'll be looking at the fifth one, but we've already seen that the church is built upon Jesus Christ as Lord as the first one. The church is built upon the Word of God. Those are two foundational truths we establish right away. We bow before the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and everything is based upon the Word of God. I mentioned early during prayer that we are heirs of the Reformers, and therefore we stand upon them that you know, the Word of God has full authority alone. So everything we take, everything we derive is from the Word of God. We looked at the third one. The church was gospel proclaiming, and that means we have a very definitive ministry. We go out into the world and we proclaim the gospel. That's what we do. And we do it through many ways, right? We do it through the preach Word of God. We do it through our radio broadcast, The Power of the Cross. We do it through sermon audio. We do it in interaction with our friends and our neighbors, one by one. Right? The church is gospel proclaiming, and we take that right out of Matthew 28. Go ye into the world and proclaim the gospel. Right? Make disciples, baptizing everyone in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Last week we looked at the church is missional. The church is missional. What did that mean? That means that if we can't go out and do it, we support ministries that do go out there and do it. It is our goal, it is our intent to push the gospel as far and as wide as is possible. And of course, God blessed us with good technology and we're able to do that. And great ministry partners. And today we're going to look at one of the most significant truths. And that is the church is focused on godly worship. The church is focused on godly worship. And we're going to spend a lot of time in this word of worship, defining what worship means. Right? The concept of worship. The concept of worship has been the subject of much, much discussion over the past few years. Many are still asking the question, it's kind of funny, right? Many are still asking the question that the Samaritan woman asked Jesus in John chapter 4. Where do I go to worship God? And not only where do I go, but what does it mean to worship God? And I'm going to share something with you. One of the unique things about human beings is we were created to worship. We were created. It is instinctual in the human being to worship. Now, we were all created to worship the one true God, Yahweh. We were created to worship Him. But you know what? Because of sin, if we do not worship Him, guess what? Human beings will worship. And they will worship someone else, or they will worship something other than the one 
true God. And if you notice, all of the seven pillars are synergistic in that it's designed to proclaim the truth of who do you worship? Who do you worship? Romans 1, chapter 20, uh, verse 22 and 23 says it very clearly as Paul writes this great epistle of Romans. He said, professing to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Is that not the history? Is that not the history of mankind? Refusing to acknowledge the one true God, they make gods of others. And if it's not a man, it's an animal. And it gets so base that it gets down to crawling and creepy things and insects. How we worship God and who we worship are critical issues. They're defining issues for the believer. They're defining issues for the believer. We are monotheist. We believe in the one true God. We can say with Deuteronomy 6.5, Thou shalt worship the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. We cling to that truth. We worship the one true God. And we are to worship in spirit and in truth. And our worship is to be of a pure heart. And totally, totally, and ultimately rendering to the Lord that which He so richly deserves. You know, one of the blessings about Tuesday night and our study of the Sermon on the Mount verse by verse on Tuesday night, if you haven't been with us, I can't tell you the amount of times over the last several weeks that the point has been made that everything in the kingdom is about the heart. Everything in the kingdom is about the heart. And I submit to you, everything in Christ is about the heart. And you cannot have a divided heart and worship Christ. You cannot have a divided heart and call yourself a believer. If you're a believer, your heart is Christ. You hunger and thirst for Christ. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yes, there's going to be a multitude of times when the shiny objects of the world, when the distractions of the world are going to come in and interfere with that. There's going to be many times that you stumble and fall, as Psalm 73, 25 says. You know, you stumble, my heart and my strength, many times they fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's a terrible thing happening in the Christian church. We have allowed a lot of indifference to filter in. We don't call sin, sin any longer. We say, I have a problem. I have a problem with this. I have a problem with that. I have a problem with the other thing. But if we truly desire to worship God, if we truly desire to follow Christ, then we need to have pure hearts before God. Did not Jesus teach us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God? 
And you say to yourself, well, pastor, how can I be pure in heart? Well, you're pure in heart if you've come to the place of repentance and faith and turned from your sin and put all of your trust in Jesus Christ. Then He comes and He cleanses your heart. And we're going to talk more about that because when He cleanses your heart, you are no longer the same. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All of the old things have passed away. Behold, everything has been made new. So how we worship and who we worship are defining issues for our faith. Our worship is to be that which is pure in heart. And today we're going to study the fifth of the seven pillars. As I mentioned, the church is focused on Godly worship. And we're going to reveal five truths regarding worship. And they are number one. We worship God in spirit and truth. We worship God in spirit and truth. Number two. We worship God through the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We worship God through the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Number three, we worship God through the reading of the Word of God. We worship God through the reading of the Word of God. Number four, and a big one for me, we worship God through prayer. We worship God through prayer. And number five, we worship God through the preached Word. We worship God through the preached Word. Now, I want to define worship here. If you go on our website and you look under this fifth pillar that the church is focused on godly worship, you'll see this, and we define it this way. We believe that the worship of God is a paramount privilege of the saved. We get to worship God in spirit and truth and response to who He is. Accordingly, our worship is God-centered. Through worship, we seek to exalt the God of the Word. God is the sole focus of our worship, and there cannot be any other deviation from Him. God is not worship, where, and I have a quote here from John Piper, I should add. God is not worship where God is not treasured and enjoyed. Praise is not an alternative to joy, but the expression of joy. And I want to I pause on that. I want to make a big deal about that. God is not worship where God is not treasured. Plain and simple. He's not worship where He is not uh, treasured. And so for many who say, I love God, I'm a Christian, but they don't treasure Christ. How in the world do those two things correlate? How do they reconcile? Even Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7 said that many in that day shall say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Did I not do the other thing? And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I know you not. 
What happened? They never treasured Christ. It is critical. It is imperative. It is important that we get to the place where we understand we must love the Lord God. We must love the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not that which is an intellectual love, but it is that which is a love of the heart. Here are some things that we should know about godly worship. We should know first and foremost that worship is a heart condition. It is a heart condition. It is not a mechanic it is a heart condition. Specifically, only the saved, only the born again, believer in Jesus Christ, can worship God. I want to be crystal clear. By the way, that sets the, that sets the ground rules. I was in a church meeting one time, and someone in the church meeting began to advocate and we were talking about the worship music, as it's called. And this person stood up and said, well, I think we should really rock it out, and we should really, you know, do everything with the lights and the smoke and everything, and so that the unsaved people would come in, and they would say, oh, wow, and they could come and worship God. Well, most of you know me by now. So you know I got an opinion on that one. I turned over to the person. I said, what's wrong with you? Unbelievers can't worship God. He doesn't take the worship of the unbeliever. It's the believer's privilege to worship God. We worship God in a manner that is in accordance with truth and in accordance with the Scripture. It don't matter how much you want to rock it out or make it sound as contemporary and modern as you can so that the driving beat is going to call people off the street and they're going to walk in and go, oh, praise God, hallelujah. It doesn't work that way. Worship is the privilege. The privilege of the saved. The privilege of the redeemed. We get this privilege and we talk about worship being an issue of the heart you know what god has commanded a day of worship has he not anybody want to take a guess what day that is that's sunday god has commanded commanded it's not optional god has said sunday is for the lord sunday you gather Someday you come together corporately to worship God, to lift up the local church. The local church gets to get together and worship God as one body. Lift up His holy name and to praise Him. That's not what you hear today, right? You hear Sunday's optional. Sunday competes with going to the beach. Sunday competes with a whole host of other different things, the shiny objects of the world that we feel compelled that we have to have them. But God's people are to assemble on Sunday. God's people are to turn their heart to Christ. You might be saying, well, pastor, I can worship God anytime you can. That is true if you are saved. But it is not true that you can worship God corporately any way as you can. You can only worship God corporately with all the other brothers and sisters 
in the body of Christ. And God calls us to come together and He calls us to worship Him, to set apart Sunday and make it holy before God. It's not any other day of the week. Now listen, I, I totally get that the world that we're in, you have to work. I get that. And I'm not, if, 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 don't read anything into what I'm saying. I am telling you the truth. I'm not, I'm not slamming anybody if you have to work on Sunday. I get it. What I am trying to make the part of is if your heart is for Christ, then you recognize that privilege. You know, I get, I get excited on Sunday mornings. I really do. And it's not about this. It's not about standing in front of people and preaching the Word of God. It's not about this. I get excited on Sunday mornings because I get to be with my brothers and sisters. I get excited when we come together and we sing. And you hear, and I hear from the front the chorus of you guys singing and lifting up your hearts before God. I get excited to, to say hi to everybody that I may see only once on a Sunday. I get excited to teach the Word of God. I get excited to preach the Word of God. And I hope you get excited. I hope you come with expectation to church. I hope you get in your car and you start that car and you say, praise God, I'm going to meet God today. I want to hear what God has to say. I want to hear the scriptures come to life through the Holy Spirit. I want to hear what God has in store for me. I want to hear if there's a brother or sister, if they got a word for me. I'm going to church with a word for my brother and sister. I know sister so-and-so is discouraged. I'm going to go lift her up. I'm going to go pray with her. I know that brother so-and-so is discouraged. I'm going to come alongside him and I'm going to pray with him and I'm going to lift him up. I hope that you come excited. God has appointed a day. Worship is first and foremost a heart condition. Secondly, I want to share something with you. Worship is not music, and music is not worship. Now we know we have a lot of Christian music today of different kinds of genres from the conservative, traditional, all the way to contemporary styles. Unfortunately, most of this, which is classified as worship music, is probably more realistically Christian entertainment. Not every Christian song is a worship song. As we see throughout the Scripture, and throughout the history of the church. Worship is based on the object. And the object is God. The object is Christ. And true worship is not designed to make us feel good, but true worship is designed to exalt and elevate the person of God. That's true worship. 
I don't come to church to hear worship music so because I'm having a bad day and I want to feel good. I come to church to worship Him. Christ is my object. God the Father is my object. The Holy Spirit is my object. And I turn my attention and I worship the one true triune God. So let's take a look. Do we have a scriptural basis for this? I hope you're asking. Pastor, I heard enough of what you had to say now. Is there a scriptural basis for this? I say, yes, there is. Praise God. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. By the way, I want to share something with you today. It's either a coincidence, and I don't know that I believe in coincidences in the kingdom, but there have been a lot of technology snafus that have occurred this morning, beginning with our little countdown clock that almost went on fire before, beginning with some of the problems we're having with the sound back there. I kind of feel that maybe the enemy doesn't want this message preached, so you know me, I want to kick him into the bottomless pit, so I'm going to go extra hard. I hate the devil. I hate him. I got no problem saying that. First thing we're going to look at is we worship God in spirit and truth. John chapter 4, verses 23 to 24. This is the Lord Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, talking to the Samaritan woman. But an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now our text comes to us from Jesus' encounter with the woman of Samaria. You might remember the story. This woman had a complicated life. She had five husbands, and she was living with a man who wasn't even her husband. Jesus is at the well at midday. She comes out at the well to fetch some water. And Jesus asks her to give her a drink. And of course, she says to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, to give you a drink? For Jews had no dealing with Samaritans. And of course, Jesus tells her, If you only knew, if you only knew who's asking you to give you a drink, Check this out. She's having a conversation with God. And Jesus said, if you only knew who was asking you for a drink, you'd ask him for water, and he'd give you living water, and you'll never thirst again. Don't you love to drop those little seeds of truth with the gospel? And the conversation goes on. Jesus never met her. She never met Jesus. Jesus tell her, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're absolutely right. You had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not a husband. And she comes out with one of the most uh, underrated statements ever. She goes, sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. <laughs> and then she asks a very important question of Christ. In John verse 4, 20, she says this to Jesus. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that Jerusalem is the place 
where men ought to worship. Let me put it in simple vernacular. Hey, which one is right? Are we supposed to worship here in the mountain or are we supposed to go down to the temple down there in Jerusalem where all those Jewish people hate us? Are we supposed to go? Where do I go to worship God? 21 centuries later, that question is still being asked today. Where do I go to worship God? She was a Samaritan. She was a hybrid. She was a hybrid. The Samaritans had long left the worship of the one true God and they integrated with the pagans around them. They took their gods, their traditions, they intermarried, which was forbidden for the Jews to do. They were considered outcasts by the Jews. They were considered half-breeds. They were considered a mongrel religion among a mongrel race of people. They were despised by the Jews. And subsequently, she asked Jesus, do we worship in this mountain? The mountain that she's referring to is Mount Gerizim. Right? Which was where the Samaritans had built a place to worship their their mixed God. You know, they still retained a portion of the first five books of the Old Testament. But it was so integrated with pagan culture and pagan gods that it was an impure religion. So she says, where do we go? Where do we go? Gerizim was their holy place. So where do I go to worship God? And in John 4.23, our Lord Jesus Christ answers her question. He says this, but an hour is coming. And now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. Now, in order to understand this, I want you to understand the word worship. The word worship. The word worship literally means to kiss the ground when prostrating before a superior. So if you were to go to a king, right, you couldn't walk up to a king and go, hey king, how you doing? I'm Mark. If you were to go to a sovereign, you went down on your face. You kissed the ground. Notice the word that Jesus used for the worship of God. A word that signifies humility. A word that signifies lowering ourselves. What do you hear today? I can go to God any way I want. Come to God. Come to Jesus anyway. He accepts you the way you are. He don't accept you the way you are. If you're coming to Him full of sin and you're unrepentant of your sin, not going to happen. But if you're a person of sin and you come before the Lord in humility, you come before the Lord in brokenness, He who comes to me, the Word of God says, I will in no wise despise. Jesus replies to this woman, He says, an hour is coming, referring to His impending sacrifice on the cross, the penalty He's going to pay for sin, His death and His resurrection. He says, an hour is coming, that true worshipers, I want you to note that word, true worshipers, true, who worships God? True worshipers. 
Those whose hearts are inclined to God. And he said, true worshipers are not going to have to go to a physical location. God is not in the temple. God is not up here on the mountain. True worshipers are going to come to God and they're going to be able to worship God in the Spirit and in truth. In the Spirit. And this is true of followers of Jesus Christ. True worshipers worship God. That's what believers do. Believers are not those that walk around with intellectual information and can debate every theological fact, but do not live it out. True worshipers are followers of Jesus Christ. True godly worship is that which is of the Spirit, specifically the Holy Spirit. Worship is first and foremost an issue of the heart. It is a bowing. It is a humble heart. It is It is a heart that adores Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Do we adore Christ? You know what adoration is, right? You remember when you had your first girlfriend or you you got married, you adored your wife, right? You You couldn't get enough. You were chasing your wife all over the place. You wanted to be with your wife or you wanted to be with your husband or whatever the case is. But do we adore Christ in that same manner? Do we want Christ? You know what? I fear that many in the church don't want Christ. I really do. I fear that a lot of people like the ethic of the church. I think a lot of people like Christ's example. I think a lot of people like what the church might stand for or what Christ stands for. But do we adore Christ? Do we love Christ? Do we ever get alone with God in prayer and say, Father, I love you, man. You saved me. You saved me from my sin. You delivered me. Lord, if it were not for you, I would be hellbound. Hellbound. Let me share something with you. I've mentioned it already. Deuteronomy 6, 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy strength, all of thy heart, and all of your soul and all of your might. You know what that is? You know what those things comprise? Your entire being. That's how we're to love. A heart born of God, born of His Spirit, loves God, period. End the story, plain and simple. That love for God produces an adoration for the worship of God. We want to praise God. We want to worship God. We want to render to Him that which He is so richly deserving of. The indwelling Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God. You know with whom He seeks fellowship with? He seeks fellowship with the Father and the Son. So you know what He does in the life of the believer? He turns their heart toward the Father and the Son. And now the triune God is worshipped within the heart of the believer. Consequently, I like to say that the believer's heart is tuned to God. It's tuned. We hear God. 
We feel God. We experience God. And that tuning is toward the one who died for us. The one who justified us. The one who called us. The one who sanctified us. And the one who saved us from the penalty of sin. Listen, the heart of the believer knows the object of his affection. The heart of the believer is not confused as to their relationship with God. They know the heart of their affection. That is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in response to this love, the heart overflows in worship to the only true and living God. Listen to me. Indifference toward God does not reflect a heart of worship. Ignoring an indifference to God does not reflect a heart of worship. Disobedience to the Word of God does not reflect a heart of worship. You know what reflects a heart of worship? Love for God. Love for God. Note that Jesus says to this woman that true believers will worship God and they'll worship God in spirit and in truth. Worship is in response to truth. Listen, worship is not in response to myth. Worship is not in response to tradition. Worship is not in response to a certain liturgy or ceremony. Worship is in response to truth. That's what Jesus said. And I want to add something else. He nowhere states that worship is in response to music. I want to make that clear. He said, true worshipers worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Music is not worship. Music can involve music, or worship can involve music, but music is not the form of worship. And what do we have most today in most churches, right? We have worship leaders, and they are the chief musician, right? And we call the time when everybody is singing worship. It is a form of worship, but it isn't definitively worship. Godly worship is in response to the truth of who God is. That's what godly worship is. It's in the response to God's revealed truth, and that revealed truth is contained in the Holy Scripture. We respond what? We respond to God's character. We respond to His attributes. We respond to His mercies, His love, His sovereignty, His righteousness, His justice, His grace, and His forbearance. We worship God for the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, for Christ's perfect sacrifice, for the resurrection from the dead, for the gift of salvation, for our names being written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. 
for our eternity with Him, for our sanctification, justification, and glorification, for the second coming of Jesus Christ, for the world's judgment in the future with a new heaven and a new earth. These are truths that we respond to, and it's these truths that cause us to worship. We respond to the truth of the gift of the Holy Spirit for His indwelling presence, for His intersection in our lives, His gifting, His comfort, His illumination of the truth, His convicting presence in our lives. We worship God for His Word and the truth contained therein. That is worship. And genuine worship, I'll say it again, is that which is of the heart. But worship is always in response to truth. Look at John 4.24. Jesus continues. He says, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And a final emphasis on this portion of Scripture is, who do we worship? Do we worship a God of our own making? Do we change the Scriptures and say, well, this was prohibited... But I believe that God really doesn't have a problem with that, so this I am going to allow. Jesus is clear about this. We worship the triune God, Yahweh. We know that God doesn't dwell in buildings. We know that. He's not a God that dwells in buildings. God is spirit. God is the object of our worship. Hence, our worship and our hearts are directed to the one true God, listen, without regard for ourselves. There's a lot of what's in it for me in the church. Hey, I want you to do this. What's in it for me? I'm going to go to prayer. I'm going to go to prayer tonight because you know I got a real problem, and I really want God to meet me. And then we never come to prayer again. There's a lot of trading being done in the household of God. There's there's bartering the things of God for the things of the world. These things should not be. There's no place for this in the in the church of God. When we come together as a church, the purpose of our worship is to give God the praise, adoration, triumph, and glory He so richly deserves. Worship is not about good music. I praise God for good music. That is a gift in and of itself from God. But worship is not about good music. My heart cringes. And I can't tell you, man, if I had a dime for every time I heard an expression like this, I'd be a wealthy man. But my heart cringes when I hear people who visit a church and the first and foremost thing they have to say about the church is either I love the music or the music stinks. Man, if I had a dime for every time I heard that. People, I've heard people say, I love the preaching, but the music stinks. Now, I'm going to make a statement here that's not going to be very popular with most people listening. And that is that music is unrelated to the worship of God. Godly worship, listen to me, 
Godly worship does not need to be enhanced by professional musicians and lighting and mood-altering settings. Listen, some of the greatest people, the greatest Christians I have ever known couldn't carry a tune in a bag. But let me tell you something. Their singing was beauty to the ears of the Lord because their hearts were right with God. I remember there was a brother in my dad's church when I was growing up. If it could be said that this person was the worst singer on earth, he fit the bill. And many times I had the unfortunate pleasure to be sitting in front of him. And when we would come to sing as a church, good Lord, the only thing that could have blocked it out is if you put concrete in your ears. And this brother was not ashamed. This brother sang at the top of his lungs. Couldn't carry a tune in a suitcase. Everything out of tune. And it would be the funniest thing because I would be sitting in front or wherever we would be sitting and he would be sitting, usually sat toward the back. And, you know, he'd belt it out, you know, to God be the glory. And, and, and this is what you would see. The whole church would be turning around. But to the Lord, He was being worshipped. My wife Barbara's not here. I hope she doesn't hear through the wall. But if he was the worst singer, my wife is in second place. Good Lord. Poor, when she was a little girl, she tried out for Glee Club. This is a true story. She's probably going to kill me after church, but she tried out. She, she tried out for Glee Club in her school. She told me this story. And, you know, the teacher would walk down, you know, student by student and student by student. So, okay, good, good. Got to Barbara and said, I'm sorry, honey, you just can't sing. <laughs> She was the only one cut. <laughs> but when my wife gets alone to praise the Lord, even her singing is pleasing in the ears of God. Why? Because it's a heart. It's a heart. When your heart is right with God, your heart adores God. Church, we got to get back to this. Please, listen. If you don't hear anything, listen to this, please. We got to get back to adoring God. Amen. We got to get back to loving Christ. We got to get back to loving His church. We got to get back to saying, God, I want to give you everything. I'm irrelevant. I'm a dirtbag, but you saved me. And because you saved me, Lord, I will sing your praises as loud and as long, Lord, as you give me breath. We got to get this right. Amen. 
we got to get worship right. You can get great bands up here that can play great songs and they can move your emotions and they can stir your heart and you might feel like jumping and you might feel like raising your hands and doing everything else and it could be as void as anything in the world. Unless your heart is right. And the call of the church is to make your heart right. Come to Christ. Make your heart right before God. Listen, the, work, the, the, the issue of worship cannot be fabricated, neither can it be manipulated through music or through any other technology. What is needed to worship God is a right heart before God. Amen. The, if the object of worship is pure, and if the object is the holy God, and if you've been born again, if you've been spirit-filled, sanctified and justified, then all of our affection will be refined and our worship will be pure. And I just want to give you four other areas, real quick, four other areas where we worship God, where godly worship takes place. Number one, we worship God through the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Why do we come? We focus godly worship. Our godly worship is not focused on the style of music. It is focused on the content. When we sing, we want the mind to know what it is we're singing and to whom we are singing. So we direct ourselves toward the Lord. That's the purpose of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's another one. We worship God through the reading of the Word of God. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The Word of God brings us into worship as we come to the reconciliation of God's truth through the Word of God. We worship God through prayer. This is my favorite. In Luke chapter 2, it speaks of the widow. They're born at the time of Jesus. And it says, Then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayer. What was she doing in the temple? She was serving with fastings and what? Praying. She was worshiping God in the temple. And lastly, we worship God through the preached Word of God. Our response through the, to the Word of God should be as Jeremiah. Thy, Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found and I ate them. I ate them. I devoured them. And Thy words became a joy and a delight of my heart, for I have been called by Thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Turn with me to close to Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, Psalm 95, verses 6 
and 7. The psalmist says this, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. There should not be so much confusion today over this issue of the worship of God. Worship is of the heart and a right heart before God, and worship is response to truth, precisely God's truth. Jesus said before He went to Gethsemane in His high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 17, He said, Sanctify them, Lord, in truth. For Thy Word is truth. And unfortunately, I have seen so many substitutes and imitations of worship these days. I've had the unfortunate experience of witnessing false worship in the church, emotional manipulations, jumping, screaming, pumping up the volume. Believe it or not, actual rock and roll. Not, not, not the style of rock and roll. I'm talking actual rock and roll songs being played in a worship service. Secular songs being played in church. And you know the rest of the technology that's employed. Some songs you can never even hear the lyrics. The music was so loud. Yeah, I've seen me-centric lyrics that produce me-centric styles of worship. And the list goes on. We should also note that worship does not only take place in the church on Sunday morning. But if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we should worship God every single day. In our homes, in our cars, if we're traveling on an airplane, it doesn't matter. Why? God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. As I mentioned previously, Scripture does, and I'm going to use this word, command A day of corporate worship, and that is unequivocally Sunday. Believers are commanded to get together to worship God on Sunday. But I want to share something with you. Some of the best moments of worship I have ever had in my life have been alone with God. Whether it's 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, where the Lord wakes me up from a sound sleep and brings me out and says, go now and worship. And I humble my heart before Him. And you know something? I never miss the sleep. Every time the Lord wakes me up, I go, oh man, I don't want to get up. But then I get up. I don't miss the sleep. And the Lord has brought me to solitary places where I've wept before the Lord. And I want to tell you something. God speaks. God speaks. I've sat before the Lord literally. I didn't hear a sound. And I have tinnitus in my ears. That means my ears are always ringing. I didn't hear a sound. I have been in worship with God 
where I couldn't find the words to express. And God breaks my heart. And all I could do was cry before the Lord. I've been alone with the Lord. Where I've said, Lord, I'm not letting you go. And I do like Jacob at Bethel. I'm not letting you go till you bless me, Lord. I'm not letting you go. If we adore the Lord, if we love Christ, then we worship Him. That's what we do. That's what we do. And you know, we worship Him in health and we worship Him in sickness. We worship Him in life and you know what? We're going to worship Him in death. And you know what? What are we going to do for an eternity if we're a believer in Jesus Christ? We're going to spend eternity worshiping the Lord God Almighty and blessing His blessed name forever. So the last question, I know I'm running long, but we didn't have the clock. It went on fire right before us. I'm innocent. Lastly, how does one worship the Lord God? Let's answer that question. How do I worship? I told you about what worship is. How do I worship? And it all boils down to this. You must be born again. You must be saved. You must turn from your sin and turn to Christ. You must repent of your sin and trust yourself completely and wholly by faith to the grace of God that was poured out on Calvary's tree, to the only one who could save you, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you come to Christ, and you prostrate yourself, and you kiss the ground, and you say, God, save me a sinner, lest I be damned and go to hell. Because we know that the wages of sin are death. That's what sin pays. Wages is what you get paid for what you deserve. When you sin, the payment is what? It's death, eternal separation, and physical death from God. That's why God provided a Savior in Jesus Christ. He was not a good moral example. He was the Savior of the world. The Apostle Paul says this is a a, a statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to die for sinners, among which I am the foremost. And let me share, it doesn't matter what the condition of the person. They could be the most vile, contemptible person in the world. They may be involved in all kinds of sin, just like you and I were involved with. But they can be saved if they come to Christ in repentance and faith. So you want to worship God? If you never turn from your sin, you never repent it. Do so today. Turn from your sin. Repent of your sin. Come to Christ and be born again. And you'll know the true worship of God. And church, as we continue to go forward, may we be true to this truth that the church is focused on godly worship. Let's pray.